Alrighty, uh, today, being that it's Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking at a beautiful story of the gospel. We're going to be looking at a beautiful story of the good news of Jesus Christ. But it is probably not the story that you are accustomed to hearing on Easter Sunday. We're not going to be talking about the stone being rolled away this morning. We're not going to be talking about angels appearing and declaring the resurrection of Jesus. We're not going to be talking about... Mary running to the disciples to speak of His resurrection. That's the story that most of us are accustomed to once again. And that's the story probably most of us are familiar with. We are going to be talking about Easter. We are going to be talking about resurrection, those types of things. We're just not going to be talking about that story. Again, our focus today is the story of Easter. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of the resurrected Christ. But the story that we're going to be reading or the story that we're going to be going through takes place after Jesus Christ has already ascended, after His resurrection, after His ascension to heaven. Most notably, however, what we're going to talk about is that this story takes place in a very unlikely place. It takes place between two people who by all societal standards, all cultural standards, all really religious standards and political standards, really should not have anything to do with each other whatsoever. It is a gospel story and it is a resurrection story in a number of ways. So yeah, it's about resurrection to a degree, but not just resurrection. The story today is about the vastness of the gospel. The story today is about the inclusiveness of the love of Jesus. The vastness of the good news of Easter Sunday. Hopefully what this story is going to do for all of us today is it's going to melt away a lot of our old ideas. Hopefully what this story is going to do today is it's going to melt away our ideas of who's in and who's out in the kingdom of God. Hopefully it's going to put to death all of our tendencies to label people. It's going to put away all of our tendencies to separate ourselves from others. It's going to put to death all of our stereotypes, all of our prejudices, and let's be honest, our sinful tendencies to attempt to decide who is worthy and who is welcome in the church of Jesus Christ. Turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 10, if you have a Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, if you really want to follow along, there's one right, right in front of you. Again, it's Acts chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 34 through 43. So Acts 10, starting in verse 34. Peter began to speak. These are, these are the words of Peter. He said, I... He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but that He accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the provinces of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. 
We are witnesses of everything He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Him. Here's our Easter story. They killed Him by hanging Him on a cross. But God raised Him from the dead on the third day and caused Him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who, who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him, that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. It's the Word of God for the people of God. What Peter does in these scriptures is he tells us the gospel. The group that he's preaching to, and I'm going to get to that in just a second, because that's very, very, very important for this message today. But what we read in these scriptures is we read Peter, the Apostle Peter, giving a concise story of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. He's simply telling the story of Jesus to his, gospel, to his audience. Now, y'all have heard me talk before about the gospel. Y'all have heard me try to define, those of you who attend Broxton or Oak Grove, y'all have heard me try to define exactly what the gospel is, what the good news is. Here's the thing. It's just the story of Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus. From the birth of Jesus to the life of Jesus, the teachings, the healings, the instructions, the arrest, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. It's the story of Jesus from beginning of it to end. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And that's what Peter does here. And if you'll read a little further, we're not going to get into these scriptures today in the essence of time, but I'd like for you to look, to look at this if and when you get a chance. If you look a little further, what you're going to find out is this story that Jesus tells these people turns out to be very, very powerful, actually. Maybe we read that this morning. You say, well, that's just, you know, ain't nothing great about that necessarily. To the people who received this message in this story, in this narrative, it was because the Holy Spirit fell on them. And it was powerful. And you'll read that a lot of people were baptized into the faith simply because Peter just told them who Jesus was. And that's it. You see, a lot of times we like to complicate the gospel. A lot of times we like, to, we like to complicate the gospel or we try to box it in. And we try to make it into a nice little neat formula that we can sell to other people. Let's just be honest. We do this. We're all guilty of this. We want to complicate it. We want to we we get some, some almost secular definition of it. We want to put it into a nice little box that we can sell to other people. And that's fine to a degree. You know, our motives might be in the right place. But that's not how Peter and the early disciples shared the gospel with people. Y'all check this out now. If you read the sermons of Peter in Acts, not, not just the one that we just read. There's plenty of examples in the book of Acts. When Peter preaches to people, when he evangelizes, he doesn't do anything but tell them who Jesus is. That's it. He might, have, he might say what he did. The Apostle Paul certainly does that a lot. But he doesn't try to break down into some nice, neat little formula. Well, this is how you get saved. No. They just tell the story of Jesus. And that's it. How cool is that? How cool is that? Again, we like to try to formulate this thing. 
And, and we, like, we like catchphrases. There's something else we like, particularly in America. We like catchphrases. Let me throw a couple of catchphrases out, out at you. And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm really not. But I want you to understand what I'm talking about here. If you were raised in the church in the 80s and 90s, you were probably, you, you undoubtedly, if you went to an evangelical church, some preacher stood up there and he invited you to come down to this altar. And they invited you, if you were not saved, to say what they, what they called a sinner's prayer. Anybody remember that? Okay. Yeah, most of us probably. That's fine, that's all well and good, and it very well, people very, very well have been saved under that. Nothing wrong with it. But there's no magical prayer to this thing, folks. There's no magical prayer that's going to save you. Nothing. You've, you've heard phrases like, invite Jesus into your heart. You've heard phrases like, um, what was my other one? Accept your Christ as your personal Savior. One more time, not criticizing, not making fun. But that stuff ain't in the Bible. It's not. There's no magic formula of the gospel. You want to invite Jesus into your heart? That's great, but you're not going to find those words in Scripture. It's just a matter of faith. It's people who listen to the story of Jesus. It's people who tell the story of Jesus. And it's people who respond to the story of Jesus. I can't make nobody respond to the story of Jesus. I can't save a first person in this room. That's the Holy Spirit's job, and that's what He does, and that's what He does in our, in our story today, which you will find out. Just told the story of Jesus. But let me back you up a little bit. Let me back up. That's my gospel, that's, that's my gospel sermon, by the way. Let's back up now, because I want to give you a little bit of background, like I said earlier, about Peter's audience that are in our Scriptures today. These were the people who heard and received the story, the narrative, and that were subsequently baptized into the faith. Because in order for us to grasp the fullness of this story, when we grasp the fullness of this story, we will truly be able to understand what I was talking about earlier when I mentioned the vastness of the gospel, when I mentioned the inclusiveness of the gospel, when I mentioned the inclusiveness and the craziness and the radicalness of the love of God. Reread verse 34 in particular. Y'all don't have to break your Bibles out again. Actually, 34 and 35, but 34 is the main one. 34 and 35, but 34 is the main one I want to concentrate on. 34 reads this. It says, Then Peter began to speak. And he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but that he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and that he does and, uh, and does what is right. Does it seem, you know, <laughs> right before Peter launches into this, into this story, into this sermon, where he starts talking about Jesus, doesn't it seem a little odd to y'all that just out of nowhere he's going to say something to the effect of, oh yeah, by the way, God doesn't show favorites. Isn't that kind of weird? Isn't that kind of a strange way to start off a sermon? I realize how true that it is that God does not show favoritism. And then he just launches into this story of, of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would Peter be talking about God showing favoritism? Why would he be talking about God showing favoritism? Or, or to put it another way, why would he be talking or sharing these or about these ideas of showing partiality or not showing partiality or showing prejudice and not showing prejudice? Why would he, just, why would he, why would he throw that into that sermon? It just seems like a real odd thing to say, but to understand why he says it, we've got to understand the context 
of where Peter was when he delivered this short message of the gospel. We have to understand Peter's context, and then we'll get it. And then, and then it, 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 should, it should give us that light bulb moment that goes off. You see, because Peter was at the home of a man by the name of Cornelius when he told this story. There was Peter, according to the Bible, there was Peter, there were several other early believers that, that went with him. There was Cornelius and there was his, Cornelius' family and friends. The Bible describes this, this, this scene at their house, at the house of Cornelius, as a very large crowd. Very large crowd. You got, you got Peter, you got the other disciples, you got this dude named Cornelius, and you got Cornelius', Cornelius family and friends. A lot of people, a lot of people there. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Now that may not mean a whole heck of a lot to you at first, but let me unravel that just a little bit. A Roman centurion was a Roman soldier, but he was a little bit more than a Roman soldier. A centurion would have been a commander in the military. He probably would have commanded at bare minimum about 80 men in the military. So, a couple of things. From a cultural standpoint, from a religious standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, probably from a racial standpoint, Cornelius had two strikes against him going into this thing. Number one was that he was a Roman soldier, first and foremost. Maybe not first and foremost, regardless. He was a Roman soldier. The Jews and the Romans did not get along. The Romans had occupied their land as far as they were concerned, and the Jews were an oppressed people under Roman leadership. All of us know that. All of us have heard this story before. They didn't get along. They, weren't, they, they didn't like each other. The Jews were, were, were violently oppressed oftentimes to a great degree. So there's one strike. Here's another strike that kind of goes along with that. You, could, you, you, you take the fact that they are an oppressed people living under the Roman Empire, combine that with the fact that they just killed their Savior, and you can see why this environment might be a little bit uncomfortable for everybody. Strike two against Cornelius was that he was a non-Jew. Y'all have to remember that the early disciples were Jews. The early disciples were Jewish followers of Christ. And as far as they had, they had, to, they had to figure a lot of this ritual stuff out that they were accustomed to doing. I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, they didn't get along. Anybody who was a non-Jew, they did not get along with. Okay? They, uh, they considered them inferior in a lot of ways. So you got some racial stuff going on. You got some cultural stuff going on. So they were at odds, to say the least. They were, they were at odds with one another. As a matter of fact, if you'll read past our story today, what you'll find is that even after Peter left this guy's house and did what he did and told this sermon and everything, when he left, he was confronted by another group of believers that's, that were like, they were, they were baffled. They couldn't believe it. They kind of confronted him. Why did you, what, what? You went to that guy's house? Are you kidding me? So yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty neat story. But see, here's the thing. Read a little bit prior to our story today. And you'll find out why Peter was absolutely comfortable going into that man's house. You'll find out, you will discover why Peter had absolutely no issue whatsoever going to that man's house and telling him and his family and his friends the story, the gospel of Jesus. Because Peter had a vision, and he also had a conversation almost with God. 
God knew what his prejudices were. God knew that Peter had prejudices against this man, against Romans in general, against Gentiles, against non-Jews. That was no secret. But in this vision, something happened to Peter. God said, no, you're not to have these things. In a very, very real sense, on that day, Peter was resurrected. His heart was resurrected. His thinking was resurrected. He no longer saw the differences in these cultures. He just saw people who needed Jesus. He was resurrected to a new understanding of God. He was resurrected to a new understanding of the gospel. He was resurrected to a new understanding of the world and the people. And we all know this verse, John 3.16, the people that God so loved, which is everybody. You see, nobody's exempt from the love of Christ. You may all may have heard this message before, but I don't think preachers can drive this home enough. Nobody's exempt from the love of God. Nobody's exempt from the mercy of Jesus. Nobody's exempt from the gospel of Jesus. Nobody's exempt from the salvation that we're able to receive because of Easter Sunday. Nobody. Nobody is exempt. And we should all know this. Our message for that as Christians, as we move throughout our lives, is we should not exempt people either. I wrote a paper. I have to take, I have to take a lot of classes um, as I continue down this pastoral route. And I, and I wrote a paper recently for one of my classes, and it was on the subject of racism and Christianity. And I quoted in that paper one of my favorite scriptures <laughs> that talks about equality. And this is exactly what we're talking about today. Equality, no favoritism, no prejudice. Equality, one of my favorite verses, Terry Steptoe, is Galatians 3.28. You've heard me quote it many times. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer fail, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no prejudice there's no partiality, or as Peter puts it, there is no favoritism in the eyes of God. I mentioned John 3.16. If John 3.16 doesn't help you to grasp this idea, this theme, if our story today doesn't help you to grasp this theme, here's a few more Bible verses from the New Testament that certainly should. Revelation 7.9, Colossians 3.11, 1 Corinthians 12.13, and pretty much the entire second chapter of the book of James. Think back to the gospel, some of these gospel narratives. Think back to some of, these, some of these parables that Christ told. We don't realize today how shocking some of this stuff would have been in that world. But it was. The first one that comes to mind is the woman at the well. Y'all remember that story? Jesus made two social, religious, and racial, and ethnic faux pas in that story. Number one, he talked to a woman which was a no-no in that culture. Number two, that woman was a Samaritan woman. Let's get back to the racial stuff. Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They were a different race, and the Jews considered them half-breeds. Jesus broke all these barriers, and He turned them upside down. He turned them on their head. 
Think back to the story of the Good Samaritan, the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road. Who was it that saved that guy's life? It wasn't the preacher. Who was the hero of that story? Y'all know, the Samaritan. That would have shocked those, the Jews of that time. It would have shocked them. Jesus turns all these ideas upside down. Multiple, multiple examples. It should be noted also that one of the primary scriptures that we're focusing on at Broxton United Methodist Church over the last year or so is something that we read a little bit earlier in our service. When he was asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and by the way, there's a second one that's just as equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't see Jesus laying down any exceptions when he said that. Oh, accept these people. Oh, accept those people. Oh, accept them. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment there is. The gospel is for everybody. There's an application for us as Christians as far as our love for other people and, and our own personal prejudices. And we got them. We got them. Let's be honest. We got people we don't like. We got people that we don't like just based on, based on nothing but, but, but the fact that, that they're a little bit different than we are. We have to get rid of that. That's not of Christ at all. But the gospel itself also is inclusive. And no one is excluded from receiving that. Nobody is excluded from Easter Sunday. Understand, if you have a pastor standing up here who had a 20-year on-again, off-again relationship with alcohol and drugs, if I ain't exempt... You ain't exempt. If you're a different color, you ain't exempt. If you're from the wrong side or the right side of the tracks, you're not exempt. If you're from a different culture, a different ethnicity, different social standing, different economic standing, it doesn't matter. You're not exempt. That's what our scriptures tell us today. If you're sitting out there, and I don't know some of you, but if you're sitting out there and you just... Maybe you've never even heard this message before. Maybe it's your first time. You're not exempt. This is a gift for you. This is the gift of God. That's absolutely free. None of us are exempt from receiving this gift. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you've done. It doesn't matter any of this stuff I've mentioned. What do you need to know today is just what Peter said. That Jesus was a real man. That he literally walked the earth. That he literally healed people. That he literally taught us how to live. That he was literally killed. And that he was literally resurrected. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. He died for you, for me, every other person in this room, every other person on the face of the earth, whoever has been and whoever will be. That's the gospel. It's open to be received by anybody. Maybe you've already received this gift. Maybe you're a Christian. I like to pick on Lois Clyatt. Maybe you're, maybe, maybe you're Mother Teresa over here. And you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember. If so, that's awesome. That is admirable. That's wonderful. However, on this Easter Sunday, we need to remember something else. We all need a little resurrecting at times. Peter was the first real preacher of the gospel. Peter needed some resurrecting in his thinking today in our story. All of us need a little resurrecting in our minds and in our hearts. Maybe your faith has gone cold.
Maybe your faith is dead. Maybe your faith needs resurrecting. Maybe you have settled, and so many times we've talked about this lately, maybe you have settled for being a believer and not a disciple. Maybe you're not following Christ. Maybe you believe all the right things, but you're just not exactly doing some of the things that Jesus said do. And yes, I think that's part of the gospel. I think His life and His teachings are part of our obligation as Christians. Maybe you've just settled for that. and You're coming up short being a follower, being a disciple. Maybe your walk with Christ needs some resurrecting. And just as we talked about this morning, maybe you have shut some people out of your life. Maybe you've shut out some people because of your own prejudices, your own favoritism, and your own partiality for or against certain people. And those prejudices and partialities cloud your sense of who you are as a true Jesus follower. If so, today is a day of resurrection. And I'm going to say one more thing and I'll be done with the sermon. Post-COVID-19... I think today, this Easter Sunday, is also a day of resurrection for the church. And I don't just mean Broxton United Methodist. I don't just mean Oak Grove United Methodist. I mean the church of Jesus Christ. We have sat down for a year. And yeah, I think we did do the right thing. But the problem with that is that we get lethargic. We get lazy. We get apathetic. Our faith and our practice become secondary, and it gets a whole lot easier to sit in front of a computer screen and watch a church service or claim to watch a church service than it is to attend church, than it is to be a part of that church family, than it is to participate, than it is to lead. These are things we call to do, and I'm not picking on Broxton. I love Broxton, but I don't want people falling away. This is a time for resurrection of the church of Jesus Christ post COVID-19. I want to open up the altar this morning while Susan comes and plays before we do uh, communion. And if this is the day for resurrection for you, you're welcome to come to the altar. If you, need, if you want to pray, I'll pray with you. Maybe you just need to come up here and pray by yourself. Talk to God for a few minutes. You're welcome, you're welcome to do so.